Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The thing is about me is I cannot handle weird behavior. What, people being weird around you? Yes. Like, what would you constitute as weird behaviour? Like, if someone is, like, praising me incessantly or in, like, a high-energy, effervescent way, I'm like, this is only going to last for about one minute. (laughs) And then me and you can't talk anymore Mm. until you realise I'm just a normal human being. And a lot of the times, people don't even know who I am when they're talking to me. What do you mean? What? How can you... You've got green hair, green dreads. Well, <laughs> pretty distinctive. That that for sure cuts me off from being a Luna George, which mm. most people know, because a Luna George didn't have green hair. True. And you know what it's like when black girls change their hair? Mm. <laughs> They're like, you're someone else, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do an intro. You say you don't like people saying big things about you well I'm gonna do it anyway so but you've only need you've got a whole minute <laughs> one minute all right you, I'll time you out okay um we're back again with Utopia Talks I'm even wearing my Utopia t-shirt today lucky you it's Jaguar here and today's guest is a big one someone who's been the voice and writer of so many of her favorite dance bangers she's got a distinctive voice and style been obsessed with her for a long time she's squirming she's a real deal she's a songwriter musician producer DJ, uh, also an advocate supporting black electronic artists with her Noir Fever Collective. She's here looking fab as ever in the studio. It's a Luna. Hello. <laughs> Big roaring round of applause. Woo! The walls are clapping. Thank you. Thank you. That wasn't so bad. No, that's, that's, see, that's. <laughs> You're like being polite. It's your, uh, no, but you, you, this, you, it's your job to introduce me. So it doesn't even, you don't, you don't know what I'm talking about when. <laughs> you're a rational person like because the thing is I absolutely am okay with it in terms of like people need somebody to be able to channel Mm. certain parts of their energy out of them and so when that's happening I understand that's what's happening and so I never I'm never I'm always really friendly to people but I'm just saying like on a personal (laughs) level I wouldn't be able to like hang out with someone who was doing that like a lot and like, or trying, trying not to. That's even worse. Mm, I get you. I get you. We're going to be on a level today. Uh, <laughs> but you're in London. You're normally based in LA. I know you're on tour a lot, mm. but you're here in London today because you've got your event on tonight at Somerset House. I sure do. Tell us. Yeah, so this is really like the first uh, 
noir fever event that I would say is like launching the collective. And um, I like that word collective. I hadn't really mm. given it a term, you know. Um, but yeah, the lineup is incredible. We've got conductor, Tash LC and Moods and myself. And um, what I really want to do with this event is show the kind of connection between the kind of black and LGBT roots of dance music and the different genres of dance music from around the world that for me are all mainstream dance music. Um, mm. There are lots of pockets of dance, black dance music that sort of live in the underground or sometimes in the, in the mainstream. But I do feel like there's a lot of separation between what isn't, isn't considered dance music. And for me, I like to, I really like to mix it up and I want lineups that really reflect like my taste in dance music, which is quite broad. Um, and I don't like the way that there isn't enough variety out there for like, if you're a black person and you want to go to an event that is, you know, if you want to hear techno house music and garage and um, gom and and my piano mm -hmm. there's not that many places where you can really go and hear that and I really really think that that should be made available mm. yeah I think that I love I love that you're doing this collective and I love that you're being so honest and open um and celebrating and bringing other black dance artists together and it's someone at your level as well as you said is like in a more mainstream space I think is really amazing to see yeah, because as much as the mainstream gets a bad rep for being commercial, it also is accessible. Mm. And for me, that's the main part. Like when I was growing up, really good dance music wasn't accessible to me because I, you know, lived just a little bit too far out from, from London. To, where, where did you grow up? In St. Albans. Okay. So we had... Is that Hertfordshire? Yeah, that's yeah. in Hertfordshire. We had uh, this one collective, I'm not really sure the name was, uh, that played drum and bass and they would come like once every quarter. Mm. Um, that was it. That was it. And then <laughs> it was like cover bands of Blink-182. <laughs> 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 it was like a Well, you were the Blink-182 cover band. That's what I want to know. Oh, no, I did try. <laughs> I, I did try and be a, a rock a rock chick. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, there's... You know, we'll get into this later, but there's a lot of genres that like black women are really not accepted in. Mm. I was inspired by skin from Skunk and Nancy, but I wasn't skin. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't have skins banned. Um, so it didn't really, I, I couldn't pull it off. Um, and I was like, okay, there's, there's enough of a challenge getting into music as it is mm. than trying to do a genre that is so anti-black that I, I, I'll just, I'll try a different way, mm. you know, even though I really love indie music. It's like one of my favourite genres. Um, So, yeah. Interesting. I mean, yeah, you can tell you've got loads of different like loves of dance music. Because when I first met you, which was earlier this year, that was in Razzmatazz for your noir fever in Barcelona, which was so fun, by the way. Um, I was like, what are you going to play? Because you were doing, you were going to sing and perform and DJ. And you're like, I'm going to start some reggaeton. And I've got such a good video of you on my phone, actually. Just like starting like proper like reggaeton vibe. And, and then you like built it up and it was amazing. And I love that 
and you were talking about like having a knife to hear these different sounds and genres like it's yeah would you say you're you're inspired by all these different sounds and and where did you come to hear them all first of all because you said you didn't have much in St Albans no but luckily my parents are culturally rich nice um so like yeah that Erasmus has said I wanted to I really wanted to show the connection between reggaeton and dance hall because mm. obviously they are related um but they live on you know in different pockets of the world yeah you know and um no growing up my my dad only like listened to reggae um and dance hall so that was his exclusive genre he's Jamaican. And um, my mum was much, much broader in her taste. So she grew up in East Africa. So she would have like African music in the house, but she's Indian. So mm. she'd also have Indian music and she would have some of the Indian artists who would like break the boundaries, like Nitin Sawney. I think he was making like, I don't know, like maybe drum and bassy Indian music or something like what? that. I can't remember. It was like, I remember listening to it and being like, whoa, this is crazy, man. <laughs> um, but then at the same time, she would also be listening to Van Morrison and Etta James. And um, it was quite a wide range of music that she listened to. So um, if I wanted to dance, that was always African music in the house. Like me and her would <laughs> work on a CD, turn the volume up and just dance together. Oh. Uh, so those are my those are my raves. Um, which... So were you a raver when you got a bit older, like teenager? Or... No, they were all gone by the time I yeah. was allowed out. <laughs> so how did we get from like dancing at home with your mum to African CDs to like becoming one of the biggest dance acts in the UK and, and globally? Honestly, you know, there's a lot you can do in your bedroom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as long as you can get your hands on the music... Um, but I did get to go to two raves in my life. In my life, I went to a drum and bass rave um, with a friend of mine who lived in London, and he was older than me. And I got to go out with his friends, and it was so funny because I was so much younger than them, and they really saw me like like. How old the, were you? I mean, I was like sixteen, but they were all like nineteen. <laughs> And you know that age gap is like really like at the, at that time, yeah. And I it's was like one. this kid that didn't drink um, on like my own volition. Like obviously in in this country you can get alcohol whenever mm. you want, really. But um, it didn't really ever agree with me very well. So and so no drugs, and they were all on like everything mm. and like bragging about it. And I'd be like, that's so interesting that you're still standing. <laughs> <laughs> I remember thinking about that. One guy's like, I've had eight. I was like, but aren't you going to die? <laughs> the voice of reason. <laughs> I was so innocent. I went to a girl's school. Oh. Like, oh my God. So, but this, I had this one thing about me, which is that I can dance to this, this music. And I don't have any dancing training my mum managed to be able to afford dance lessons for about one term. Um, and and that was it. And so it was, I remember just being like, I didn't care who was looking at me. I didn't care what anyone else was doing at all. Like zero Fs were given. And I would dance like a crazy woman. And it was just me and this music. And that to me is something that I've always had a very, very direct and private connection with rhythm and dance mm. music um and it's interesting because sometimes I'd be with a friend and they would want me to 
sort of dance with them to like show them how to dance and kind of bring them in. And I was like, it's really so much down to your own personal relationship with the beat. And I didn't understand why people didn't understand that. Mm. And I'm much more gracious about that now where you know I understand as a DJ like you have to kind of guide people through the beats with your with being connected to them in that way but if it was me down on the dance floor you won't catch me trying to show you how to dance like mm. I don't have time for it because I'm just like this is my time <laughs> I am one with the music yes I am music do you have ever have those moments when you're on stage and you're like I'm sick. I, I am music. I've become music. The, 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 the times when I'm able to do that are when, when I'm with a band because mm. the band is outside of myself, right? And so I'm able to then again sort of almost like submit to the beat mm. in a way. Yeah. It's harder for me to do that with music that I've basically produced. Yes. I'm, so I'm too... I'm too much part of it but when another musician is interpreting something I've made mm. and running away with it then I'm like I can bow down yeah no that is sick so this year is 2023 which is a 10 year 10 year anniversary of body music 2013 yeah okay, I was birthday I was at uni I think and like that period felt like a real like golden era of electronic music and yeah you you guys were at the forefront and how was that time for you when you like how did you kind of make that album did you know that album was going to be part of this like kind of new generation of electronic music and be received in the way it was me and George were always waiting for the other shoe to drop because the way that we made that album was very specifically trying to make something that no one had ever ever heard before and with that we always knew we had that flip side which is like well then people aren't going to know what to do with it they're not going to know what like how to talk about our music or what genre to put us in and then we'll be like left on the fringes but the way that we were embraced um for that was really really cool and obviously it was really amazing to be on that crest of a wave of like soundcloud and hype machine and those kinds of things which we we don't have now um and so we couldn't have known that the general climate of music was so unique at that period of time um but yeah like we wrote body music in george's bedroom essentially i mean not essentially just that's <laughs> where we wrote it <laughs> uh and we did it in a very isolated way because we kind of knew that we had a vision and that even if we let anyone else get involved, we thought it just wouldn't be us. Mm. And so we kept it a really closed kind of um, creative process. I'm so different now. I collaborate so much more with so many more people now. Mm. And I really enjoy that we did that on purpose because there's so much, like as soon as you get signed to a label, the first thing they want to do is put you in the studio with other people. And that's sure. what happened to us on our second album and um I don't know what Aluna George fans would say about the difference between those two albums but mm. I'm sure they would agree with me that having the influence of like being put in the studio with Stargate and all these kind of other producers definitely watered down our sound and then kind of created this more commercial mm. thing which 
I don't think really suited Alina George. And I think that was the kind of beginning of the end of that kind of um, relationship with the label. Yeah. Which um, luckily, um, like as much as people have really, really bad experiences with labels, I was able to get us off my off our deal like I think two albums early or really yeah how did you do that oh <laughs> did you kick off I had I'm a I'm a long gamer nice so I had a two-year strategy oh my god oh yeah oh yeah because I was determined I was like this is not I need we not we're not a major label mm. band like you don't know that until you try it and although um it was really really successful for us being on a major label in order to, for us to continue in a very creative manner, similar to how we had been with body music, because we really wrote body music before we were slot, but before we were yeah. So um, we needed to get back to that really to like be able to survive as artists. And uh, yeah, so I I really strategized and got what I wanted. Very good, very good. And you and George, like, what was the reason for kind of parting ways? Well, there were quite a few reasons. One was that we were now living on other sides of the planet. Um, I moved to LA mm-hmm. and George wasn't able to do that. And um, he hadn't been in the band for a long time already. So he stopped playing in the live show in 2014. So it didn't feel quite the same. Mm-hmm. And whenever we got together, um, we'd written so much music by that point that I felt like we weren't challenged anymore and it was so easy for us to write that I was like, there's something like alarm bells go off for me when I get too comfortable. Mm. And that's because I know that I naturally tend to hide away from challenge and conflict. Um, so if I'm not scared about something, I know there's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I asked myself like, well, okay, what are you, what have you not done yet? Like, what are your musical challenges that you haven't faced? And one of the big ones was being a solo artist. And so this might come as a surprise, but when Aluna George was in its like fledgling kind of existence, George really wanted me to be a solo artist and he wanted to be my producer. Mm. And I was like, that doesn't make any, doesn't make any sense because the way that we write is so split down the middle, 50-50, that it'll feel weird for me to represent you uh, like when some, some of the songs were like about George's dad or, mm. do you know what I mean? I was like, that you yeah. have to come and represent your stories. Um, and so, but actually it felt like I was dragging him through uh, artist being an artist because you know being an artist is not about taking credit it really that is like a almost like an aside mm. really what being an artist is is getting in the studio with a cameraman and a videographer doing interviews doing press getting on stage talking to the audience connecting with the audience it's always always this outward um, expression and it, you have to be committed to that if you're in any way resistant to that 
then it's going to just be so hard. And mm. that is what was was hard for George. You know, he's he's such a one-on-one person and the the humbleness is like extreme. Yeah, some people are just like that, aren't they? And yeah, and you can't you can't force them to kind of mm. want to to kind of be anything else other than that. And so that was another part of it. I was like, I've <laughs> I've dragged this man through <laughs> being an artist for so long now. Mm. I'm gonna let him let him go. Um, and f- for me, I'm gonna take on the challenge of being the person who makes all the decisions musically. And I knew that why the reason that was scary for me is because as a person, I deal with like deep insecurity about who I am, where I come from, where I belong or don't belong. And I never really thought I was enough to sort of carry that full weight of artistry. But working with George for so long, I'd learned much, much more than I realised about production, about what I do and don't like. And I thought to myself, well, I think it's probably just a mind, like a mindset challenge as opposed to like a skill set challenge. Yeah, so totally. Let's just go. Let's just go and see what happens. And like that fear like dissipated so fast as soon as I got into the studio and it was like, you know, whoever I was working with was like, oh, okay, so what are we doing today? I'd be like, right. So, and I was like, oh, I seem to know what we're doing today. <laughs> um, and uh, that was kind of like one aspect of what I was scared to do. And I didn't know what my other fears were until I uh, started thinking to myself like, all right, so now that you're a solo artist, what exactly do you want to do? Because you can do anything. By this point, my songwriting ability and my production, my executive production ability was so broad. I was like, oh. Yeah. Um, and I, me and George had almost resisted the um, dance music world for most of our career. Because what me and George do really, really well is this kind of glitch wonk um, take on R&B. Yeah. Which I think you would call, you could, you could, describe body music like that um glitch wonk yeah glitch wonk you know it's like like hip-hop beats without the beat or something mm. you know mm. the original you know you like it um i remember talking to george and we were like what what's so what what are you doing here because I, I was like what's <laughs> happening and he was like well i tried to make a hip-hop beat without a kick drum Sick. i was like and he was like, so the bass line is the kick drum instead. I was like, oh, I see it. what you did there. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of technical, interesting th- things we were trying there. But again, um, I was doing those features along alongside Aluna George, which people were obviously associating with Aluna George, but we weren't the ones making dance music at the time um, together. So I was like, Oh, so obvious to me now. I, was, I remember I was in the hot tub. I was in the hot tub in LA. And then I like jumped out and I was like, it's dance music. I'm going to make dance music. <laughs> I can literally like see that. Were you with anyone? You... I was, yeah. <laughs> um, I've, got, I've got some pictures of it. Eureka! For some reason there was a photographer there. Um, and yeah, amateur photographer. Um, and uh, yeah, because I was like, every time I, every time I play, people 
literally just wait until the end of my set when I do the dance, dancier stuff. I was like, they seem to want to listen to dance music mm. from us. Um, and like, um, people would ask us, like, can you make something a little bit like white noise and things like that? Mm. Like, no, that's them. That's that's what they did. And I was like, why? I wonder why I am scared of making dance music. Like, what what would that be about? And I was like, well, I mean, you know, I'm a bit of, I'm a bit of a visitor. You know, I'm a black woman. You know, black Is that how you felt like a visitor? Oh yeah. Like when I would go up and do um, like sing sing white noise or something like that. Um, it was like I was being given like a day pass to a, to a spa. <laughs> I have to, you have to go home after this. You're not a member. Wow. Sorry. You're not a member of this club. Um, and I did not think anything twice of it, of it because I was like, well, I'm, I'm black and, you know, dance music is white. Mm. So why would I, of course, that's a normal, normal sensation. And um, I was like, well, for starters, I don't like being boxed out of things so I'm gonna I'm gonna go and do this 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 genre that's not for me which is f- very funny to to know that that's how I thought at the time and then and you that's genuinely the you know yeah you, you, when you're from the UK mm. on the whole I think that's the common conception yes especially like pre I don't know what you call it the pre-George Floyd yeah, the like, yeah pre-pandemic, I guess. Pre-pandemic right? mindset, um, and I'd already I'd already committed to this and started making dance music before I stumbled across the history of dance music, and I was so mad, I was so mad and surprised and happy at the, all at the same time. But my, I remember that first thing of like. What? Mm. What? So all this time, I've been feeling like an imposter, like a visitor with a day pass when actually my people created this genre. Yeah. And it's been somehow taken away from us. And then we've been tricked into thinking that it's somebody else's. And I was like, how has this happened? Yeah. But this, is the, this is the thing. It's like, it's like on both sides, like particularly in, in the UK, but I'd say globally, like there's... If you look at yeah, if you look at lineups, they're still very, very white and very, very male. And then it's like people in the crowd don't know that it came the black origins of house and techno. But also like black people in this country, a lot of them still don't know about the origins of house and techno. And it's it's kind of like constantly having to educate people and remind people and like knock on the door about something that actually did happen but has not been like taken forward as the genre has grown. Yeah, and I you know, there are when you get deep into it, mm. you can really really debate about the origins of something, right? Sure. But you at the end of the day you have to take some kind of stance. And my stance is that dance music is not just the use of electronic equipment. It's actually a movement. It's um it's a community it's an ethos it's protest mm. and like you know when you when you go i think i think there's a museum i'm not sure where it is is it the detroit museum i think it might be the D- detroit one and they do refer to 
the influence of craft work, mm. right? I think it probably is Dutrecht, I reckon. Um, which actually, there's a museum in Germany, uh, a new one, which actually does not acknowledge the black dance roots of dance music because they say it's not that's that, that wasn't they weren't trying to say they weren't trying to make this museum about the actual broad history of dance music they were just speaking specifically about something i don't even know <laughs> but i'm like at least from the perspective that dance music was created in detroit and chicago there is an acknowledgement that Craftwork was doing some things with some mm. electronic sounds, mm. but they did not create the movement and the Culture. sound that we associate with house techno. Mm. And the thing was, when I first discovered it, I was like, I bet it doesn't sound the same though, does it? It absolutely, it, it really, <laughs> I mean, when you listen to original house and techno, you're, you're like, oh, <laughs> uh, it sounds, yeah, it's like really... You can really, really like if you listen to a craftwork track, you're not like you're not going like oh this is like really good techno track. You know, you're like wow this is very experimental. Bleeping, yes, it's like a it's like a happy computer or you know happy AI going. You know, it's not. So people who were like that comes that came from Germany. The thing is it's like it's so hard for Europeans to acknowledge that something came from America because America's so young. But mm. let's be honest, dance music is an incredibly young yes. genre. Yes, it is. It, it is. hasn't been around for that long. All of most of the pioneers, you know, who are alive t- today are not that old. Yeah, like 60s yeah 50s 60s yeah um and it's really interesting this whole topic because we had helena start on the podcast a few episodes ago and she's also an advocate for supporting black electronic artists and her sets and radio shows and so we put a clip up on tiktok about her like talking about the origins of detroit techno and like some of the comments were just like from white people Stop making everything about race. Uh, another week of bashing white people. It wasn't from Detroit. It's from Germany. This whole debate. And people, it like, why are people so, like, it annoys me because people are so, like, get so defensive and think, like, having a conversation which acknowledges the history of something is, like, an attack. When it's a very, I think, a very important conversation to acknowledge something. Otherwise, it gets forgotten, as, as we've seen, as we've discussed. Yeah, I mean, I can't pretend that I uh, totally understand the fragility of people who have believed that they created something when they didn't. Um, But I imagine there's such a passionate love of the genre. And if you believe that your people created it and then find out that they didn't, Mm. it's kind of, it's like... It's sad for those people because then, you you know, you lose your connection with a culture that you're so connected to. Mm. Um, but what I say to those people is that when you embrace the black origins of house and techno, you open yourself up to such a wider world of creativity. Like some of the black artists who were experimenting experimenting at that time had such imaginative things to show us. Like, 
I always like to point to Drexia yeah. um, and their work. I mean, there's like there's a whole sci-fi world that they created around the, the music that um, if you're trying to get re-inspired, because it's, it's a little bit hard to get really fresh inspiration in dance music, let's be honest, mm. because what happened is that there was such a sort of strong, almost like set of rules around dance music, like what the sound is and isn't. Mm that it actually becomes quite hard to break out of that and like create something new. And I, I do feel that with any genre, as much as you might love it, people get bored and they need something new. And if you are a producer at this time, like I understand people who are fans of the genre, right? Who don't, who are not creators getting upset about something being sort of taken away from them. Mm. I understand that. But like, I'm not really sharing the history for them. Because I honestly don't think people care. About the history. I guess most people don't. Most people just want to hear music. Yeah. yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but producers and young creatives, that's who I'm talking to when I'm sharing this history. Because I know that it's it's quite hard to get inspiration. And for me, it was really, really fun to, for this record that I just put out, Mycelium, I liked to get my imagination into the setting of when House and Techno was created. And I was like, okay, so all of our toys have been taken away. All the money has been taken away. The death of disco Mm. has obliterated the whole industry and all I've got left is an 808. <laughs> oh my God. What do I do? Love this. And then go from there. Be an inventor. That is... Because you you've mentioned... Got the, you've got the backdrop of all the music that you've once made yeah. and all the music that's been made, mm. but you don't have any of the resources to do it in that same way. So now what are you going to do? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Let's talk about Mycelium, your latest album. Mm-hmm. Came out in July. Ah, uh, what? Was it July? It came out oh, in July. I really thought you said Kamanjali. I was like, Kamanjali. Wow. Mm. That's a challenge. What is? Is it a type of mushroom? <laughs> you tell me. Is it a new mushroom tea we're going to try? Kamanjali. Actually, I think it's a film. Definitely, because it's, it's like a spin-off of Jumanji. About mushrooms, the yes. mushroom kingdom. Yeah, <laughs> I mean mycelium is like the is like the term for the mushroom network, isn't it? What is the actual definition of the word mycelium? It's like a sort of network of cells. Okay, so mycelium just grows underground and connects all of the kind of different roots under and underground. I don't think it's exclusive to mushrooms, but it's very connected. Mm. But 
I see the the mushroom as the bloom, the fruit. Okay. Whereas I see the the mycelium cell network, you know, is around us all the time. We don't really see it. You don't because you don't see mushrooms everywhere that there's mycelium. Got it. But it's mycelium is like everywhere under the ground connecting everything. Yes. Um, An invisible community. Yes, exactly. Mm, And the album, if I'm linking this right, Mm -hmm. feels like you used your network Mm -hmm. and community Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of collaborations on there, actually. And a lot of collaborations with black artists, too. Mm -hmm. Like you've got M&EK on there, you've got Jada G, you've got Route 94, Tisha, who we had in yesterday. That, MK, uh, the MK, yeah. also the tune of Tisha. I, I, I love the, I love the album by the way, and I love all the different, like sonically and like the sort of ending when I'm a piano and, um, but the Tisha tune, I, it, this summer it's just it's been it's been like on rotation for me. I don't know what it is, but I love that one in particular. That's her production, yeah. Like, I really rate the way that she's so particular about finding that sweet spot of. I've never heard this before, mm. but I can still roll with it. Mm. That's mm. really, it's, that's like, was like the the Aluna George ethos. Like, well, there's there's the traditional beat of traditional way to create this beat that mm. we all know. And then how do we dismantle that and just just recreate it just a little bit differently, a little bit wonky, but like not too wonky. Yeah. And I think that, that song took so long because she was sort of really hellbent on it being having her sound because the you can hear that kind of pop sensibility in that song mm-hmm. it's so held back and that was what she really needed to get going because she was like I don't want it to be too just like a pop song that's like I feel you I feel you yeah, that's so cool. And what about some of the other collaborations on there? Like what have been what were some of your favorite tunes to make when you made them? I mean, definitely working with MK. Mm. Um that was huge for me because having discovered the roots of house and techno, I was like, this man has been there yeah. for the entire time. Um Yeah, because how, how old is MK? I'm not sure. I don't know. Because like, when you meet him, you're not getting any closer to the actual number, honestly. But he's been like ever present for forever. Yeah, but he, he really, he's, he re- in, in person, he gives like tall teenager mm. energy. Mm. Interesting. But I, I couldn't, I couldn't see, this is the, <laughs> you know what we were talking about? Before, I don't even know if you put it in the podcast because we were talking about it before we started. But um. I <laughs> I was so shy around him. I could not really? get my mouth to open <laughs> at all. Uh, I was just all blubbery because I was just, you know, I'd done all this research and I was just like, oh my God, you're such a legend. <laughs> um, uh, and so... How was he in person? He's also quite quiet. Oh, really? Yeah. But um, sort of regal. And so that combination is that kills me. I'm like, no, we're not going to speak now. I'm just going to sit and stare at you, but you won't see me staring at you because I actually have really strong peripheral vision. (laughs) And he's really quiet. So he's also just sat there like. He's just fine being himself, you know, Mm. just like. um, But yeah. (laughs) 
when he kind of like played me the version that we hear now, like where my, the sweetness of my voice was like mm. contrasted with the backdrop of that dirty, dark beat. I was like, uh, that's, that really threw me. I was like, because normally I have something to say. Mm. Like, mm, you know, we could change like all these things. And I had nothing to say. I was just like, jaw drop. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. And well. <laughs> so that's Kiss It Better, the yeah. MK, MK tune. Um, how about the Jada G track? Oh, that was so much fun. I loved seeing you two on a tune together. We bonded on, you know, that unique experience of being a black woman in dance music, mm. which, you know, there's not many of us. Um, there's more of us now, mm. which is really, really cool. But... Um, when I when I embarked on this project, I could not see any contemporaries, um, and so I'm really really proud of every single collaboration on this album because I feel like I have spent. It's like finding a lover, right? Mm. You feel like you've spent your whole life trying to find this person, and it really felt like that with every one of these collaborations because, you know. What I feel is that like there are black people in dance music, but we're so separated by like a sea of white people yeah. that it's actually quite hard to connect because what will happen is like you'll be the only black person on a lineup or you'll be the only black person on that label. And there's, you know, to get the the number of people you have to wade through to get to that person. Um, and there's also not a culture of connecting us. Mm. A lot of us artists who have teams are really kind of being guided by those teams because we're busy just making product, right? Yeah. And so those teams are suggesting like, you work with this person, you work with this person, how about this? You know, and so if no one is suggesting that you work with this one other black person that's on the other side of the planet, it's not going to happen unless you really, really have a very specific vision and that you spend your time like finding these people. And so that's what I did. And... Otherwise, I would never have got this kind of caliber mm. of artists on my album. And that research really started like way, way back. Like that's like three years mm. of, of research and connecting um, and building to get the album that, that I have now. And how was that whole process? Like how was it working with fellow black artists in electronic music? It was, um, because did you, did you explain to them like the reason, like the whole thought process behind the album? I did. And, um, the main thing I would share is that, uh, that scenario that I talked about of like, all right, we're going to go back to the origins and that, and the birth of house and techno, okay. Mm. In our minds. And it, I could just every time. I described that feeling or that that scenario to people. I could just see light bulbs just going off. And I just knew that no one else has ever suggested that in the studio. Um, and it was that together, togetherness of discovery. Um, like, uh, almost like as if I was like, let's look at our family tree and see things see connections that we never knew were there mm. um so it just felt it felt so new it's just 
And I was like, that's just a gift to both of us. Um, and I, I, I started to learn that not necessarily through music collaborations, but actually through deciding that I wanted to connect um, Black Ravers. Um, a lot of a lot of my motivation is the moments when I've been on stage and I'm the only black person on my side of the fence. So there's no one black backstage. Yeah. There's no one black on the lineup. There's no one black working tech. There's no black managers. There's no black agents. It's just me. It feels very isolating. Very. And then you and then I would get on stage and then everyone would be white mm. except for like one black girl at the front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, obviously if there was a black girl in the back, I can't see them. So it would, it would there may have been like one or two sure. others, right? Sure. But pushing your way to the front as a black girl is work. Because mm. no one's making, no one's parting the sea for you. Okay. You've got to be extra polite and not threaten anyone with your either skin or size mm. or um, hair. hair or anything like that to get all the way there. And I'd see that person, I'd be like, yeah, it's just me and you, babe. Um, and I kind of accepted that as our lot in life. And then I was like, after the, after, you know, during the pandemic when we were going through this revolution, really, in how we think about race um, post the death of George Floyd, mm. I realised that those black ravers who previously had been hanging by a thread, which is that thread would be like, I love house and techno or whatever genre, EDM genre. So I'm, none of my friends are going to come with me. So I'm probably just going to go alone to this festival because I love this music so much. Um, and the white people at that festival are just going to be like okay with me being there but when it came to that moment and you turn around as a black person in those environments and there is no black lives matter support vocal because yeah. like the edm scene was very quiet around that time very very quiet uh i knew that all of those people were just about to just leave the scene or at least not feel as as comfortable as they once did, which was to say that it was more like, I'm not comfortable, but I'm willing to just go through this experience just so I can dance to yeah. house and techno. Whatever genre of EDM you like. So are you referring um, to more of the US scene, I guess? Um, I would say that in the UK, mm. black people were kept we're kept in our genres right we have dance music genres that are considered ours right mm. grime yeah but on the whole every other dance music genre is considered white yeah and so with um with the, like there was like legislation here that was strategic in breaking up um that was the form the what was it called form 972 that the mm -hmm. for the venues yeah i can't remember what it's called so like black people getting together and mm. listening to music um in a kind of mainstream public way was not 
accepted or possible. Yeah. Mm. So I'm not going to say that it's just exclusively yeah. America. Well, the reason I ask is because since, again, like kind of post-pandemic, uh, in the UK, there's an artist and a DJ called Nix who's created something to help alleviate this this problem and to help champion artists. And she's made something called the Black Artist Database. Um, I don't, have you heard of it? I, I, maybe not. It's, it's very like UK centric currently. I'll definitely send it over to you. You should definitely connect with Nix. And um, it started off as a spreadsheet with just loads of artists making electronic music and links to their SoundCloud and Bandcamp. And now it's actually a whole website where you can, you know, and they do, they have a podcast, they do events, they have links to directly that goes to Bandcamp so you can buy music and support black artists. And it's got thousands of artists on there adding to it daily you should definitely um definitely check yeah. out and and connect on that but and it does feel like again I'm talking kind of UK centric because that's been my experience like kind of post uh pandemic there have been amazing things that have come out of these realizations and changes and, and there is a bit more ownership of black artists um and and acceptance in the wider scene that there is a need for this, but equally I'm very aware it's not perfect and there's a lot to, a lot of a way to go. But it's, it's, it's sick that that even exists. Yeah, that's amazing. But like, again, like that started, what, three years yeah, ago? Yeah, three years ago. So a lot of what mm. I'm talking about is like pre- Yeah. Three years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the thing you mentioned about reaching out to black ravers because I saw you did an Instagram post as well like maybe earlier this year being like if you're black and you like dance music comment below and to kind of build a bit of a community yeah and I, I uh, what I was going to say is that I learned through actually creating space for those people to connect mm. how valuable that moment is so I would get people to jo join me on a zoom and their first thing was to go around and talk about um, what it's like to be black at a festival and people would get so emotional having never ever had the space or opportunity to share like how uncomfortable it is and in a safe space with other people and I was like this is interesting like these people have I can feel their energy has like become so much more elevated and then they would start to talk about what changes they want to see and they would you know, um, get much more, more empowered. And I was like, well, what would happen to like artists if, if they were allowed to do the same thing, if they were allowed to congregate and be on the same lineup and connect and be able to talk and share their experiences? Like maybe you'd have whole, whole a completely different uh, performance from them at the end mm, of the day. Yeah. And different music would come out. Because I, I haven't really seen like, you know, there's a lot of collaborations that go on, you know, basically in the credits yeah um and that's that's the space that I really wanted to, to penetrate with my album where it's like the credits are full of black people as well not you know not just the one sort of face of it yeah because it's a you know very collaborative space but a lot of the time you'll just be collaborating with white people because yeah. they're so abundant and highly talented I must say when you've had control over the genre for 40 years, what comes with that is investment and development of talent. Yeah, of course. But also, 
you know, you've proven through your album that there's loads of, there's also, there's just loads of talented black artists as well. And I think maybe people just stick with what they know in terms of like labels and mainstream. Oh, let's put these two in a session. Let's put them in a session. But actually, it's a lot of work. Yeah. So I understand how it happens. But you've proven that it's possible to make amazing music just by thinking slightly differently about who you want to get involved. Yeah. I mean, what comes with that is saying no multiple times Mm. a week. You know, like this white producer was like to work with you. He's got numbers. He's got an audience. He's got everything that you don't. Mm. And I have to say no to that so that I have the time and the energy to work with people I want to. And, you know, you like people see me as a successful artist, but I don't own my own house, by the way. Like I've made huge sacrifices to stay within a space that I feel comfortable with. And that's the interesting thing that people don't think about is like, you know, within the black community, when we talk about working with other black people, um, you know, there's a lot of anger around when people don't. Mm. and resentment and I've been on both sides of the fence it's like where's the money yeah at the end of the day where's the money and are you in a position where you need to feed yourself or are you in a position where you're fed and I was in such a privileged position and that's what I used but I wasn't ever in that position before but at that point in my career when I went solo I was like I'm fed okay we don't have a house, okay, but like we're gonna we're gonna make some changes to the way we work, even though you know we're not saying yes to every every high profile mm. DJ that I could collaborate with to get my bread and butter. Yeah. So where and also like that's incredible to hear, by the way. Like, and I this is why I wanted you on. Like, I rate that you've done that and you're and. And you've acknowledged, yeah, maybe I'd get more money or be easier to do this way, but you're doing it your way. And I think seeing that and the kind of music that you are creating that is like penetrating a mainstream space is incredible. And I hope I hope it, you know, inspires other people to do the same. And like moving forward, what kind of what would you want to see the the industry looking like off the back of what you've been doing this year? I think there I what I really like is by being an example, what I'm trying to do is kind of almost subliminally change the mindset. So what I was dealing with and what I still deal with is that the mindset is like black women are there to be songwriters, singers and featured artists. And I want that assumption to switch to mm. that um, most probably this black woman is an artist in her own right. So when I approach her, to work with me um my first go-to suggestion would be would they like to collaborate Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know maybe if they'd prefer not to be um the in a collaboration they'd rather be paid as a featured artist and then I take ownership over that song then that's up to them they can suggest that or if they'd not even like to be named, they'd prefer, they actually don't want to be an artist yeah. um, on this record and they'd rather just sing it and um, that be, you know, your track. That's also, but that's not how I'm coming in off the gate, out of the gate, sorry. Yeah. 
And that it's like changing mindsets is a much more nuanced game. Because it's not, you can't just kind of like, right, be like, this is the new rule. Because mm. you're, you're changing psychology. Yeah. So what I felt is that the only way to do that is to actually represent to the world. Like, I no longer do features. Yeah, this is, this is what I was going to say, because you are an artist and you do all these different aspects of being an artist some people who might not appreciate or understand what goes into that, they might still view you as, and I don't want to just say just, but just a, a vocalist because mm -hmm. you have featured. So do you, how do you, how do you navigate that? And do you feel, do you feel that sometimes you get pigeonholed as something like reduced to something you're not? Because I would get kind of pissed off because you are so involved in your creative process. You are the driving force. You are involved in every aspect. Well, I don't get pissed off because I know that when I went into um, the sort of, when I did the features that I did, I knew what I was, I knew what I was doing mm. and in that like, that I was essentially giving over or selling my creativity to someone else so that they could use it as part of their business. Yeah. But what I didn't know is that I, I could do anything else other than that. I made the choice, but there wasn't a choice, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, the, you know, knowledge is the game. Knowledge is the game. And if you didn't have the knowledge, then you, didn't, you made the best decision you could make. But, it, mm. you know, it was still my decision. And now I can make other decisions. And I can show other people that there are other decisions that can be made. But, um, you know, everyone was working with the, the mindset that we all had. My mindset was also that, you know, this other producer is far more important than me. There's always there's always a game of leverage in this mm. in this industry. And um, I'm somebody who I struggle with being a very obedient person, a subservient person. Mm. Um and that, you know, to a certain point, that is my kind of the effects of racism on me that I try to undo slowly. Um, but it's not that anyone forced me to be a featured artist. Yeah. I, I just, because this is something we've spoken about on the podcast before. And, and like previously we've, I think season one, we had uh, Becky Hill, Angie Brown and Rowetta on talking about these topics as, you know, as as people who songwriter and do vocals um and kind of the disparity and sometimes like lack of recognition lack of credit for sometimes you know you write the song and you might do production of the song but then a lot of the time again if we're looking at like mainstream dance music the primary artist can be the often male producer and then sometimes the vocalist is a feature or maybe not featured at all um, Angie Brown spoke about how she was at the time still trying to get the royalties for she sang on um, I'm gonna get you baby I'm gonna get you yes I am she was still trying that was came out in the 90s still trying to get royalties and that was two years ago uh, Martha Wash I think she sings Everybody Dance Now um, wasn't in the music video or isn't credited 
as the vocalist of that tune. And obviously this strings back to like 80s, 90s. Often it's black women who are uh, like pushed out, not recognised. So have you, you must have had to fight to get to the point you, as a solo artist, to have all of these credits to your name. Like, I think that's really inspiring. There's a whole world around that that happens, right? Because in order to like um, capitalise on being credited as a main artist, you have to be a main artist. There's no point in getting the full credit for something, but then you're not also putting out your own music as as a main artist mm. and that's to do with investment and so you know when I was looking at these disparities and challenges I was like okay that's the kind of symptom really but like so in a business sort of arrangement you know if you are someone who has previously done a lot of session work and you're not actually an artist and then you come to this collaboration, they're going to assume that there isn't any way for you to capitalise on being a main artist. So you may as well just be another, do, you know, be another singer on this, mm. this track because the other person, guess what, who can capitalise that on that is the producer who's been invested in by his label. He's been backed by radio. He's been backed by being booked on lineups, uh, on DSP platforms, et cetera, et cetera. And so what is the question here? It's not just in that business transaction, should she be a main artist? It's about should the, should the label that she's on be investing in her as an artist mm. instead of pimping her out as a songwriter? Should the people around her be communicating in emails like, you know, bef before she even gets to the session that, this is going to be a collaboration. It was all of these kind of steps and levels. It's not, there's no, there was no like band-aid fix to it. Cause of course you can be like, you can get into a room and start trying to upgrade your leverage in real time. Like mm. actually I'm an artist now. It's not going to work that way. Yeah, Somebody yeah, has yeah. to invest in you. And so it's not, it's not, it, that's the last moment that has to happen. What has to happen before that is people have to see raw talent in a young black woman who has a voice and songwriting skills and performance skills and go, oh, guess what? This person could actually be a really good artist. Yeah, I'm going to invest in this person. And when I talk about her working with other people, um, this producer could write a beat for her. Not she could lend her talents to this other person just because she's up and coming yeah it's a complete change of mindset on the, in the whole ecosystem this is the thing and so for that reason you know the noir fever collective on the event side is only one part of my plans the other part is also to be investing in up and coming black artists because I know how much that has to do with what direction they end up going in. There is the question of, are you suited to be an artist? Sure. That same question goes for producers as well. And you've got, you've got a lot of producers who are not suited to be artists who kind of are sort of invested in and pushed forward mm. just because they're a, a talented white guy. Yeah. And so I would say to 
those people who are making those investments broaden your horizons because sometimes those producers are not right to be artists they should be in the background because we should have background people in all levels of the industry but we should also have those foreground people Mm. and what you're doing sometimes is investing in the wrong people you need to broaden out and be like I'm going to take a bet on this black girl that she could actually be like, and it, and it goes for production as well, you know, mm. um, black female producers, um, non-binary producers can often be relegated to oh, not even the background. I have to say, like, it's a really, it's really interesting. There's, there's like not much faith in black female and non-binary so producers. So why, why do you think that is? I think that um, it's a hard question to answer because when I find someone who just is talented, I don't know how they arrived there. Mm. Mm. To me, it looks like they just had so much conviction against all the odds. Because sometimes I'll meet like young white producers and I'm like, you just floated into this. But the reason that you floated into this is because you've kind of been invested in without you realising it by society. And it's like... By seeing other white male producers making it. You can't be what you can't see. So they think, oh, okay, he looks like a producer, so that he must do it. Well, let's make him a producer. Right, because honestly, if... I've studied production, right? I'm I consider myself an executive producer mm. because I don't really enjoy the process of um engineering. You know, I don't I, I understand how to make sounds I've set out of sine waves mm. and manipulate them into a new growly baseline that no yep. one's ever heard before. <laughs> but that takes forever and it's like very nerdy. <clears throat> but it's not hard. Mm. You know, trading isn't hard. You just learn graphs and stats and, you know, you just, it's not hard. It's just, it's like, like you said, you can't necessarily be what you can't see. Mm. I think that's really what it is. It's like the number of times that you've ever seen a black female or non-binary sort of, I call them artist producer or super producer on stage playing their own beats mm-hmm. with someone else singing is is very rare but i feel like we we are getting to a point where we are seeing more of this and and yeah it's just it like as as a positive and like you know as a mixed race girl in the industry in electronic music like it, i do feel hopeful and like you know yourself and some of the collaborations we've talked about so many amazing black artists doing this who are making music and you mentioned earlier before we start recording like Anne's and Jada G and Tisha and Nia Archives and it is really exciting. So like I struggle a little bit with when you're making change there is so much you can focus on that's negative to complain about Mm. and so how do you get from there to taking action and one of the things that really is my motivator is it's a very business kind of philosophy. It's like, if you're going to sell a product, you need to find a gap in the market. 
And it's really hard to find a gap in the market. It's really hard to solve an issue that people don't know needs to be solved. But in this case, it is a, like the gap in the market for black women and non-binary artists mm. to be in dance music is so huge and glaringly obvious. Totally. That I'm like, everyone, this is the gap. Like, if you think you can fill this gap, get in there. I don't care what skill level you're at. You can, in one year, I can guarantee you, in one year with one course, whether it, whether you're paying someone to sit next to you and baby step you through the whole thing, or you're doing an online course, whether you will be able to make a banging track within a year. Mm. Get going because the world of dance music is bored. Let me tell you that. When I go out to a lot of these places where what most people are hearing is the same old stuff like they need fresh takes on this genre and black women and non-binary artists are going to be the best at that totally because we're going to have the freshest take we're coming from basically being outside of this genre for so long and even you know when you when you look at it on another in another perspective we mm -hmm. have been the soul and heart and soul of this genre yeah for all of this time but let's be not just the heart and soul let's be the technical side too because there's something interesting about like when I when I put my mind to the intricacies of intricacies of a beat I really do come up with something different to other people mm. just because of who I am yeah exactly um, you're bringing different experience different point of view different just life experience and I feel <clears> like that is how you develop society in a different way as well like I always wheel this quote out so apology if you've heard this before anyone but um there's a writer who was called Audre Lorde who was a black feminist writer um in like the 80s and she says she wrote that the world is evolving through women and that in in that like in the context of kind of any minority really like throughout the way society is built it's built by like the patriarchy and like in general white men and then it's like you know women were like killed and died in childbirth and but now it's like getting to a point where women non-binary people queer people people of color are actually having opportunities to contribute and help build society and instead of just like going in this direction we can go in this direction in this direction and do things in a different way because now there's actually an opportunity for other people who aren't the canon to create. And I think that's a really great way of looking at evolution. Absolutely. And I think as music lovers in the black community, we need to embrace the concept of reclaiming a space for us to dance. Mm. You know, for, for too long, I think we've kept away from rave spaces, you know, I understand it because honestly, it's not not been safe for black people to be in public raving mm. because we've been so heavily policed. Yeah. And I think that people who go to events don't realise they have a voice. And I'm here to say that you do. If you, if you uh, are a black woman who wants to go to an electronic dance music rave and not have your hair touched, not have your body touched, not have people slap your ass mm. because you're dancing the way that you dance 
then you can demand that. Yeah. Or come to a noir fever night. Come to a noir. Well, you know, <laughs> we're, we're only, we, we, we haven't even done our first one yet, but soon to come. Yeah. I'm excited for tonight. Um, I think we're going to wrap up. Yep. So I'm going to ask you, your utopia. Take us to a Luna's utopia. It's really being on stage and looking out to see faces from all around the world, all different colours, all different genders and all different sexual orientations, being together, but completely submitting to the beat is my utopia. Submitting to the beat. Mm-hmm. Have you said that before or did you just like come up with that in this podcast? I do think that uh, we may have come up with that in this podcast because... Mm, you said it a few times. I'm like, that should be a thing. Yeah, submit to the beat. We're going to hear that in your next single, I swear. <laughs> I think it's, di- it's definitely different from dancing. Yeah, yeah people, be- yeah. people get confused. They're like, I don't know how to dance. I'm like, yeah, but do you know how to submit to the beat? <laughs> the beat will tell you what to do yeah just let let the beat take you away yeah Uh, Luna thank you so much for coming on this has been a pleasure Uh, it's been really 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 fun to talk to you like in this kind of setting where we Mm. get deep about things um, because obviously we can we can throw down on a good night together but this is different yeah and tonight see you there can't wait yes Utopia Talks is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.